0: Welcome to Through the Trauma Podcast. My name is Amber Larkins, published photographer, storytelling expert, visual artist, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach. This podcast was born from one question. How do I get inspiring stories of triumph out to the people who need to hear them the most? Come with me. Enter my world where lives are getting changed, heroes are getting developed, and greatness is being achieved. Welcome to Through the Trauma Podcast. I am Amber Larkins, your host, and today I have with me Dr. David Bonano. He is a psychologist and a PTSD survivor himself. He is the inventor of the de-adrenalizing, which is a revolutionary therapy that heals sufferers of all psychological traumas. He's also the author of Your Brain is a Robocat how to finally understand your trauma response. It's just going to help people understand how the human brain is before and after trauma. Dr. David, thank you so much for being here. Thanks,
1: Amber. It's a real honor and privilege to be here. I've listened to your podcast before. I think it's great.
0: Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk to you about getting into not only the therapy, but how you treat that and uh, hearing more about the different kinds of modalities that you use and Learning more about the deadrenalization therapy as well. So, you want to just kind of jump in, share with us why you're doing what's led you to doing what you're doing today?
1: Sure thing. Um, you know, I remember my first day of grad school when I, uh, uh, for to become a psychologist, and I, uh, I was sitting at a uh, lunch with a bunch of other students and I I said so what what made you guys want to become psychologists and then this woman said because I'm screwed up like aren't you screwed up like I want to find out what's wrong with me and I was like well actually yeah that's exactly why I'm here (laughs) so I I think that um, a lot of people who are therapists become that way so that they can uh, heal themselves and I have to say i didn 't really learn as much as I thought I would from school and uh and what I really did what I really did learn was when I did start to help people. Uh, in 21 different states to uh, uh, qualify for medical marijuana, and, and by do so in order um, to do that, you evaluate and uh, I would diagnose them with PTSD, and then I got the opportunity to talk to over 10,000 people myself, and I think that's a perspective that very few people have, and I learned so much about PTSD that you just don't get from the books or from the same old experts saying the same old things, and one of the things that I learned was that I, I actually really did have PTSD. I mean, looking back, it's, it's very obvious that I have it, but just like everybody else, I kind of thought, well, it's, it's for combat veterans, and I certainly didn't want to be seen as comparing myself to them or taking anything away from them or anybody else. So, I mean, yeah, even though I was a psychologist, I, I just didn't even know that I had it myself.
0: You're not the only guest that I've heard say that, where they're like, oh, we just associate that with being in wars or being a veteran or having seen some of those things, which are is truly traumatic. But PTSD can develop in, in any regard. Am I correct in saying that?
1: Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, so many different. Ways to uh, contract PTSD. I mean, it's and when you're a kid, you're especially vulnerable. So that's why uh, you know the first years of your life are, are so critical. Because if you're not, if your needs aren't met and you don't feel safe, then your brain is going to form in a way that is really uh, configured around defense and protection as opposed to being open and connecting with people. So, I mean, one of the ways that, and and that did happen to me. I, I, uh, didn't have the best childhood. And I I really think, Amber, that it has affected my ability to receive or just to feel loved. I mean, so, you know, when I was in school, people always said, oh, yeah, the first years of life are so important. But they never really spelled out why. I, I think that's really what's going on there is because you're, it's, it's just how your brain forms and is it going to be a, a healthy response to an unhealthy situation, or is it are you going to grow up in, able to really um, be open and connecting with people and of course that's what we're really hardwired for
0: if you had to classify some of your specific trauma does it root back to one thing or is it more of a bunch of different things that happened throughout your life um,
1: that's a great question so. I think I I did start off predisposed to PTSD. So, you know, I, I'm 52. I, I grew up in the early 70s, and back then it was fashionable to bottle feed. Um, so I, I do think that when people breastfeed, they really are um, al- like allowing the brain to form the way that it's supposed to. Um, and, and then another thing was I was put into a bedroom by myself and just left to cry forever uh, with nobody there to comfort me as scared as I may have been. And the idea, you know, is that, uh, well, they'll figure it out themselves because you have to learn how to soothe yourself sooner or later. It just doesn't work that way. It's, uh, a a person learns to soothe themselves by being soothed first. So, yeah, I started off, uh, as a very anxious, nervous kid. And, uh, and then my, when I was 14, my mom had a stroke and, uh, she became a handicapped for life. And I think we could have survived that because when things started to get back to normal, um, I think my dad handled it really well. But then right after that, he was diagnosed with lung cancer and he died. So um, right after I turned 16, I, uh lost my dad I, I remember one day amber i had to I, I got my license on the first day possible i drove my mom to uh physical therapy i drove my dad to chemotherapy and i drove my brother to basketball class practice and i tried to do my homework in the car and it it just uh i was currentified too early it, it was a recipe for anxiety i believe i was just way over my head and then unfortunately I think that really broke my mom she became really abusive and uh and narcissistic personality disorder so she was just a total drain and uh, a really um damaging uh hurtful person for the rest of my life until she just passed away this summer and then um so i i grew up uh in really tough circumstances all throughout my 20s and 30s i was uh, depressed, and, uh, and my relationship with food and alcohol and marijuana were not healthy. I wasn't able to be in a healthy relationship with a woman, even while all my friends were getting married and uh, having careers and having kids. And I just kept wondering what was wrong with me. And then, um, you know, I did become a psychologist. I did figure out a whole lot of stuff. But also, just to throw it in there, recently, uh, a couple of years ago, my my stepson passed away. Uh, he had a heart condition we didn't know about. He was 19 years old. We found him in his bed, and, and so uh, that was uh, also, you know, it was totally devastating. But I, I did, um, I was able to treat myself with my own method, and that that did help quite a bit.
0: So there's several, several things there definitely that can cause trauma and PTSD in someone. So you become a therapist and you've developed several, is it several systems or is it one specific system that kind of umbrellas everything?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a one system I would say. I mean, so the, the book I wrote is to help people understand what's going on for them because during those times that I, I mentioned in which my peers were all passing me by, I, I was left to wonder, well, you know, why do smart people do stupid things? Why why was I doing things and feeling things that weren't making sense for me, weren't good for me? And I, I believe that what happens is it's really a function of your cat brain. So if um, if I may... The, I, I came up with a metaphor to really explain what happens uh, inside people's heads when they have PTSD, especially. So your robot is your the part of your brain that's responsible for analytical thinking and uh, stories and uh, decisions and inhibitions. It's your cerebral cortex. It's really kind of what separates us from the animals. And I believe that humankind over the years have really we've wanted to glorify that part because we want to you know feel good about ourselves and feel that we're higher evolved than any other animal but we still do have that mammal brain and that's what i call the cat brain it's your instincts it's your fight or flight system it's your creativity your wisdom and your intuition and the thing is amber when you're triggered or threatened or stressed out that's when your logical brain is actually supposed to be going offline. You're, you're not supposed to be, like if you encounter a bear in the woods, you're not supposed to be running through a high level list of pros and cons and, and options available to you. You're supposed to be acting or reacting right away. And that's what that brain is all about. So I the reason I call it a cat is because we all know you can't get a cat to do what you want. And it really is a pain in the neck when it takes over and i think that really is what explains people's uh, problems when it comes to relationships or addiction or of course when you uh, lose your temper and you do things that you regret um it's it, it's just so important and possibly even more important than the robot brain but they can't really exist without each other and so the reason i wrote the book is so that people don't have to hate themselves the way that I did. And when you ask yourself a question, your mm-hmm. robot is going to try to answer it. So if you ask yourself, why am I so screwed up? You're not going to get uh, an answer like, no, you're not screwed up. You're special. Just keep telling yourself you're special. Your robot's going to come up with an answer why you're screwed up. And eventually you're going to blame yourself. And then over time, you're going to hate yourself. And I just, I don't want other people to feel the way that I did for so long.
0: Yeah. And I think
1: that's so important. I'm so sorry. So you had asked me about my therapy system, you know, with talk therapy, of course it's good for a lot of things, but whatever you focus on, you magnify and they always make you focus on all the worst stuff that ever happened to you again and again and again. And the idea is that you're supposed to be releasing your pain as you talk about it. But I really, uh, beg to differ i I think that you're rehearsing your pain as you continually focus on it and another thing is cognitive behavioral therapy is of course great for some things but when it comes to ptsd it's the worst because your robot is offline your logical thinking is offline so i mean i had i had this one therapist tell me well it doesn't make sense for you to be triggered by the past because you're in the present now. And then I said, well, yeah, no shit. What am I still doing here on your couch? I mean, this is, you know, that doesn't help me. Um, And I think a lot of times when people are suffering and they look for help, the help does not help. And so the, the reason that I developed the therapy that I have is to be able to interface directly with the part of the brain that is, where is where PTSD lies? It's the cat brain, it's your emotional fight or flight brain. So, um, I, have you ever heard of EMDR?
0: Yes, I have.
1: Okay. Right. So, that's the first therapy that has that um, used eye movements. And eye movements are great because it really does help to connect the different parts of the brain. And people say that it might even be replicating rapid eye movement. But I, I do believe that it's a, a way to access the subconscious. But the problem is with EMDR, there's really no focus. And you're really just made to continually relive the worst traumas of your life. So, I did it. As a client for four years, and I would have to plan extra time after every session because I would be so triggered and messed up that I couldn't even drive home. I'd have to go for a long walk. But if you combine eye movements with memory reconsolidation, and that's kind of a new thing in science, where um, basically the principle is that memory is a changeable thing, and that when you recall a memory, a memory, you're changing it. Um, if let's say like uh, you you and your partner try to remember your first kiss, well, if you're if you had been trying to remember it again and again and again, you're not going to have nearly the accuracy as the person who has never really thought about it. Memory is not reconstructed; it, it's not reproductive. Excuse me, it's not like a a video recorder. It's reconstructive. You're you're actively. Building that memory every time you access it. And if you can combine eye movements with that, then you can literally uh, change the response that your body has to whichever. A traumatic memory that you have. So just just to give you a real quick uh-huh. example, what you do is is you have somebody remember what happened. So um, it works tremendously for child sexual assault, for example. And if if a kid who had been molested goes to therapy, then you know they're made to talk about all the details of it again and again, and, and that is barbaric in my opinion. But with my therapy, you. The person thinks about what happened only one time. It's while their eyes are moving, which is very calming in itself. They do not talk about it. And then you have them change the story on purpose. So like I had uh, this one kid recently pretend that she had super strength and then she threw her abuser across the room and then they never touched her again and then I, she knows with her robot brain that that didn't actually happen, but um, for whatever reason, her symptoms are gone. I mean, like I say, whatever reason, because it, we're talking about the subconscious mind here. It's hard to uh, put that into logical left-brain terms, but uh, it works fantastic for uh, all kinds of trauma, and I wish that more people knew about it.
0: You, you've taken some things from EMDR, and you've kind of tweaked them to your specific therapy and your the way that you do things. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about the treatment that you use is medical marijuana.
1: Okay, so I actually don't have anything to do with medical marijuana technically because I'm not a medical doctor and marijuana is considered to be medicine. I just happen to be the first person in America to help people to qualify for medical marijuana so that they can then see a medical doctor and get a prescription. So, I mean, I I use it myself. I've I've been using it for 25 years. I always felt guilty about being a criminal. uh, And I thought it was bad for me because I grew up in the Just Say No generation, but I do believe that it's probably been helping me as much as anything else, as much as the medications for sure and, and therapy, all these years. I know that it makes me a better husband and a better father. Uh, I do have people regularly tell me that they've uh, it, it helps them with so many different problems that they've been able to get off of addictions, like including the most serious ones, with the help of cannabis. So. I think overall, it's a really good thing. Of course, you can abuse it and, and overdo it like anything else. But uh, if you can use it at the end of the day to relieve stress or to help you to sleep, uh, and then I, th- I think it's overall, it's, it's probably good. And, and the thing about uh, marijuana with PTSD is that with PTSD, your, your fight or flight system is always on to some degree uh, for most people, especially complex PTSD. You never really slow down. That's what really makes it hard to slow down your thoughts or to relax or to sleep. And the medications just don't do a good job of helping you to dial down your nervous system. They have so many bad sides. And I used to ask people, Amber, you know, do the meds actually help your PTSD? And you would think that a certain percentage of people would say yes, but I've asked maybe a thousand people and 0.0% Zero point zero percent have ever said that the med- that pharmaceuticals have helped their PTSD. So, um, I I think it's just a really good way to dial down your nervous system, and to help you to just be present in your life. I mean, you know, when somebody tells a person with PTSD, you should really calm down. You should really just slow down. Uh, that that really feels terrible to us with PTSD because. We Yeah, we want to slow down, but we don't know how to. And then we end up blaming ourselves. If you tell somebody who's full of adrenaline... That they should slow down. That's like telling somebody who's full of alcohol that they should just be sober. Just be sober. Just do it. Just do what I do, and it doesn't work that way. So, I mean, yeah, I I, uh, I am a proponent of, of medical marijuana. I don't tell my clients to do it because it's out of the scope of my practice. I'm I'm not a medical doctor, but I have helped over ten thousand people personally, and and people who've worked for me have helped another seven thousand across twenty one different states, and I'm very proud of that. You know, the, the drug companies want you to think that you have a chemical imbalance in the case of depression or anxiety or just about anything else and all you got to do is balance your chemicals with their chemicals but i don't see it that way uh and i'll tell you that from my anecdotal experience it doesn't they don't really help for ptsd um I've talked to over 10,000 people myself, and I did for a while ask them, do the pharmaceuticals help your PTSD? So I've asked maybe over 1,000 people, and you would think that a certain amount would say yes, but it was 0.0%, and so it's it's really too bad. I mean, if you're a doctor, you know, I'm sure most doctors are good people and they want to help, and when you have a hammer in your hand, everything looks like a nail, Um, In this country, we have 5% of the world's population, but I I believe we take about 85% of the psych meds available in the world. And, you know, unfortunately, we're just not doing that much better than countries that that don't have wild prescription rates. So I'm not a huge fan of uh, pharmaceuticals myself. I've tried, personally, 17 different psych meds, and they haven't helped me in terms of my PTSD. I mean, I I take one now that kind of slows my mind down a little bit. Uh, As a matter of fact, this, this is a little bit of a funny story. My wife always said that I have PTSD, she said I have OCD, because I think so much, I dwell on things, and I said, you know, I don't want to have OCD, I, I already have ADD and PTSD, I don't want to have another D, and so she uh, she ended up looking up online which strain of cannabis is particularly good for OCD, and it's called Buddha's Sister, and I was like, "Oh man, that's my favorite one that I ever tried," because it really helps me to just be carefree and, and not be so uh, perseverating on things. So I kind of had to admit that, all right, sure, I got some OCD going on there. Um, but yeah, like I, I just uh, I don't believe that they're really particularly helpful for anxiety, or or um, I mean, without side effects, or or depression, or PTSD, in my opinion.
0: Have you ever? used psychedelics i know that sometimes this is a kind of a new i don't want to say it's like a people have not explored this territory yet because i i first learned of this through someone that was healing from trauma and but i know that this is a talked about subject have you experimented at all with any of that
1: you know i have actually uh, only one time, and I would like to do it again, to be honest. I had a, a friend who is a nurse, and he has PTSD uh, from the military. And he uh, just kind of um, sat with me as I tripped on mushrooms. And it was wonderful. I, It was kind of like it is on TV with all the colors and the shapes and everything moving around. But I feel like it just opened me up. In a way to um, that I just hadn't been before. I mean, the idea is that your brain, um, everything kind of goes through the default mode network. So if you could imagine a wagon wheel, like if one part of your brain wants to talk to another part, it has to go through the center of the wheel. And when you when you're using psychedelics, it, it you're able these parts of the brain are now able to connect with each other in new creative ways. So you're really kind of forging new neural pathways as you do that. And I just remember I really connected with my son who had passed away and I felt like I was really hugging him in real life. And it, it really I think went quite a long way toward healing my broken heart. And then I also realized afterwards, I mean, this, it wasn't during the trip, but soon after I realized how I was in a very, um, unhealthy situation when it came to, uh, work. And I, so I was, I was had the courage to get out of my business partnerships that I had. I, and somehow I just intuitively believe that that psychedelics helped me with that. I don't have an experience with ketamine. I hear that that can be really good. Um, however possibly habit forming uh, whereas with with uh mushrooms or it's not i i, I wouldn't say at all um i do want to try dmt sometime i hear that just really opens your mind up in a huge way but you know i think that there's a really bright future for psychedelics i attended a virtual con- conference about ptsd with all the big names and they were saying um You know, we don't want to comment on it too much because it's not, they're not legal in every state, but we do think that's the next big, huge thing. I mean, personally, I think that my therapy is capable of achieving amazing breakthroughs and it's very quick and easy and no, no uh, drugs have to be involved. But um, yeah, when it comes to psychedelics, I, I don't have anything bad to say about it really.
0: Well, and this is really what, I mean, to me, it's like, let's approach things with an open mind. Because if there is something out there that can help people heal from some of these things that is hindering their life to the to the point that they can't function in some cases, then why not approach things with an open mind? Now, it probably needs to be done under the supervision of a doctor. But um, nonetheless, if it can help, why not explore those options? So, I mean, I think it's great that you are not only exploring these options, but then you're also teaching people about the impact this has on the brain and the way that the brain actually works and how it registers trauma. Because I think when people have trauma, sometimes not understanding that link of how your brain is actually dealing with that. I talk to people sometimes, they, they feel like what they're going through is not normal. But when trauma comes into the picture, it is normal, but you can feel like it's you're alone in that in those feelings do you see that with your clients
1: yeah that's a really good point amber i i do and you know if you're when you have ptsd you don't feel well and it's hard to slow down and be present with other people so there's a natural tendency i think to withdraw and that can really be damaging because you know when it comes to depression Um, Like I said, the drug companies want you to think it's simply a chemical imbalance and all you got to do is just take freaking Prozac or whatever. But um, what I think the research really bears out is that the most important uh, way to, the the best way to prevent or cure depression is to have social connection. And by the way, depression is not about happiness or sadness. Depression is about energy. So the opposite of depression isn't, you're tiptoeing through the tulips. Through the opposite of depression is vitality, where you really just, you know, you wake up and you actually give a shit, <laughs> and you want to be with people, you want to connect with 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 things and or your job or whatever. Um, when people withdraw then they start to become depressed and, and they don't realize it. And then uh, before you know it, it can be, you could really be in a hole. And then, I mean, that happened to me for 15 years, including after I became a psychologist. And people kept telling me, you got to get out and do stuff. When you're depressed, you do not feel like getting out and doing stuff. So it can really be a slippery slope. I do think that it's very important to have regular social connection. I'm worried because... Uh, it's, I think it's easier than ever to be apart, you know, like with social media and stuff and the, the pandemic, people have, have withdrawn more. Um, my wife once one time she asked me, you know, why do you think there's so many mass shootings these days? And I don't want to get into politics at all. But I will say that I, I think it's easier than ever to be alone. And to be disconnected from society, and I think that's a really bad thing. As a matter of fact, the Surgeon General came to New Hampshire, which is a couple of states away from me, uh, a week or two ago. And he was saying that people being, a, that loneliness is, is in his opinion, the most dire health crisis that we have. Because it doesn't only affect your mental health, but your physical health as well.
0: I I really believe that there needs to be a back to basics. in western medicine we're pushed all these things but we forget to not we i feel like there is a push to get back to basics but i feel like there has been an agenda to to push these things and to forget about the things of basic things like grounding like being together with other people like getting in um nutrients and and vegetables and eating your you know eating the right foods I think you can fight so much through nutrition by itself, but we're served up this trash, really. I mean, like fast food, it's not even real. The FDA approves things that's that's not even approved in half of the other world. It's ridiculous to me. I believe we're entering into a time where we're going to just continue to see mental health because it's like they continue to come up with things that need medication. So there's a huge push for medication and for vaccines. I don't know how you feel about vaccines, but it's, there's this huge push for vaccines and more vaccines and more boosters. And I feel like there's a, there's a problem because now we're putting all these synthetic things in our body and our bodies are made to be able to heal themselves. And I agree with you that there's, there's places, there's a time and a place for certain medications. There's a time and a place for needing a doctor and needing to be in a hospital. Sometimes I get frustrated because I feel like we're in a backwards world, and it's like a lot of the things we're doing is actually backpedaling us or hindering us as opposed to helping us
1: yeah, I hear you yeah i can't I can't disagree with the things you're saying, yeah, it's it, scary
0: <laughs> I try not to think about it too much I think that if there if we could focus on the things that are that move us back to the basics like human relationship um you know getting in healthy connections and things i think that is so important so tell me a little bit about your book if you were to give this book to someone who would be your ideal audience for this book
1: great question people who are really frustrated because they just don't understand what's happening for them. Uh, so, you know, like sometimes people ask me, what what can you do for somebody who has PTSD, like a loved one, uh, or just somebody who's been affected by trauma? We don't have to call it, you know, a formal diagnosis of PTSD. I wrote this book for people who have trauma that they're is unresolved that they're still suffering from it and they're trying to understand themselves because like i said you know if you don't have answers you're going to end up blaming yourself and then after a while you're going to hate yourself the worst book i ever read in my life amber is the power of positive thinking and and so of course there's a time and place for positive thinking but if you're so damaged that you can't manage to do that it just adds to your uh to your plate i mean somebody gave me that book when my dad was dying and my mom had a stroke and my world was falling apart and then i'm like oh my gosh why can't i think positively uh it it just really made me feel guilty uh which i didn't need at that time so the book is written for regular people it's not an academic book by any means and it's actually a story. So. I believe that if you read it and absorb it and this is just my opinion I, I think you'll know more about PTSD than 99% of therapists and doctors out there and I know that's a really bold claim but I I just see it differently than other people do because of my perspective and and, uh, and it's it's an easy book to read so I I try to give it to people as much as I can and and, and I've gotten really good feedback if you if you go to Amazon and look up RoboCat book Then um, I think there's like 50 reviews or so. They're almost all at five stars. And uh, I I appreciate your allowing me to promote it on this podcast. And I'm sure you have people out there who, have been looking for answers, and they just haven't gotten them yet. Uh, The people who usually come to me, I I wish people would come to me sooner uh, before they get so frustrated, but, you know, they tried everything. Of course, I I think nutrition and exercise and yoga and mindfulness and meditation, all those things are good, but if you present them as a cure for PTSD, then it's only going to disappoint people, and then they're going to, uh, lose hope and they're not going to be willing to try other things. Um, but I, but anyway, um, people who often come to me have tried everything else and then that's when they really can get some huge relief from my therapy. But I am accepting patients from all over the country and uh, you can check out my website at, at drbanano.com or, or you can just check out the book and find the website there. But yeah, that's who I wrote the book for is people who are in danger of really being really hard on themselves. I I don't want them to do that the way that I did for so long.
0: I do agree with what you're saying. I'm a big proponent of, you know, positive thinking and, but I'm in a much different place. Um, And I think back as I hear you talk, when I was in that dark place, life is like this. It's like a roller coaster. And when you're in those valleys and you're in the middle of depression, it's really hard to just think your way out of it. And I do think that there there is a time and a place for somebody to, you know, to go on this journey of like positive thinking and and meditation and yoga and all those things. I think they're very valuable. But I think what you're speaking to is the person who is like I just don't know what else to do. And I don't know where else to go. And I don't even trust myself around myself kind of a thing. And when you're in that place, then yes, by all means, I think you need to seek help because it's really hard to get to dig your way out of that or think your way out of that or um, meditate your way out of out of that. It's really hard. Um, Now, all of the other things, you know, all of those other things are good to add into getting you back healthy. They're all little things that you can do that's going to feed into the big system. But the mind is a very complex thing. And so I would encourage anybody who is struggling with that to definitely go check out check out the book. Um, I have not read the book, but I'm very curious at this point, And I would love to, to get a copy and read it myself uh, just so I can understand trauma. The books that I have read on trauma... It's eye-opening, and I'm obviously not a therapist, but I'm a huge proponent of people getting the help that they need when they need it. I'm not a huge proponent of pharmaceuticals, but, you know, I also believe that people have to find their way. I just invite people to approach things with an open mind because there might be something better. The, The problem that you have with pharmaceuticals is you have side effects, and with natural ways of treatment, you you don't really have side effects. So why not utilize those things first? That's my thoughts anyway. So David, tell us, if somebody came to you today and was like, oh my gosh, I'm struggling through these things, what would be your first line of defense for them?
1: Well I mean of course if uh somebody was thinking of hurting themselves then i I would really want them to connect with some kind of mental health professional um i th- I think that nobody really wants to die but uh with the pain they just want the pain to stop and, and there's a lot of people out there with a whole lot of pain um so uh you know if if you could get in touch with uh somebody like that i please do so um and uh otherwise you know. <sighs> Talk therapy can be good, but it really can be counterproductive. Uh, The meds, I I don't believe, are a really good way to go. Um, I believe, I mean, I can't help but recommend my therapy uh, de-adrenalizing. It's just really quite painless compared to other treatment methods and it really can have miraculous effects. I mean, if if it's a single event trauma, then you could get better at, at permanently in as little as one session. Uh, if it's complex PTSD, which is which means that it's um, from things that happen over time, for example, abuse, then uh, it, it takes more sessions, but not nearly as many as, as talk therapy. I mean, there's a lot of people who I try to tell them about what I do. They just don't get it. So then they result they resort back to what they know and uh, you know i've, I've talked to i talked to this one guy who's for 20 minutes he didn't realize i don't take insurance and then he said oh well i'm just going to go see my therapist and i mean that guy could spend the next seven years talking about his problems and not get better you're gonna get much much better if for your ptsd if you were to see somebody like me so if you could check out my book and and just knowing what's going on for you can be so valuable uh, and then um you you'll get a chance to really uh read about my therapy as well and see if it sounds good to you.
0: That is awesome to know and I hope that people can connect with you and and get the help that they need and at le- or at least be sent on the right path, see if they align with you and if so then then work with you and if not, then you know find the path that works for them. But with all that being said, do you have any closing remarks or final things you'd like to to leave our audience with
1: well i just encourage people to not give up and to not be so hard on yourself i you're not as crazy as you think you are and in, and uh, in our society we have such high expectations of ourselves. and social media makes it really more difficult because you see all these people who are living their best life and they're probably more screwed up than you are and so um yeah, if you could try to be easy on yourself, I know it doesn't often seem like that's the thing to do. I, it really can go a long way and uh, and then try to educate yourself because there's so much to know out there. So thanks so much for having me on the show.
0: Thank you so much for being here today.
1: All right. Thank you, Amber.
0: Thank you for listening to Through the Trauma Podcast. If you have found value in this episode or believe in the mission behind what we are doing, please subscribe so that you never miss any future episodes. Also, be sure to check out our Transformation Project at transformationthroughtraumaproject.com where we help inspirational stories get heard on a larger scale through multiple platforms. If you know someone who can benefit from this episode, please share it with them. Until next time,